Good morning, good morning. I am Todd Brinker, and this is Back from the Brink, the after show for our morning radio show on KCAA Radio on the Brink. Aaron will be joining us shortly. The world is happening. Believe it or not, it still goes on. Day 12,652 of COVID, and still life goes on. Obla di obla da. Yeah, stuff's still happening. Politics is still politicking. It's almost mind-numbing. You know, I was talking with my dad the other day, and we both were like, it's just nice to sit and talk about something other than politics, you know, because he and I tend to talk about tech, and you can catch us on the Generation Tech podcast. Right now, it's Mondays right after this show. So after the show, just listen to the end music, and then we start right up. And so you can just listen to the after shows after show. Um, But we'll be launching that as a separate podcast once we get a few shows under our belt and kind of get the routine down. Uh, and that'll be a weekly show called Generation Tech. So you got a guy who was on the front edge of tech. You get me who's sort of in the middle of the tech. And then we'll occasionally be joined by some uh, youngins who are, um, you know, people who grew up with some of the tech that we see today. Uh, and we'll just talk about things that are going on in the tech world there. So if you have an interest, uh, hang in there because um, I think it's kind of interesting stuff. And I, you know, and I, I'm enjoying the conversation. And so. Hopefully, if I'm enjoying it, then you'll see that and you're picking up and enjoying it as well. Um, so the Senate. Ah, Aaron's here. Hello, Aaron. Hi. How are you? Uh, I am. I'm driving Tobin's car, which is so much faster than my car. <laughs> and um, You press the pedal and it goes. What was that? I said you press the pedal and it goes. And it goes, yeah. I mean, my little my little car is a is a Honda Civic Hybrid, but it's a 2008. Yeah. And it's a little gutless wonder. It's fine. It still runs. It's, total cost of ownership is is low, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But um, you know, this car is a little newer and a, and a whole lot zippier. Yeah. Well, the hybrid uh, technology has improved significantly in the last you know decade and change. So, um, and and his cars, you know. Uh, about a decade newer, right? So, yeah. Well, it is um, uh, five years newer. Ah, okay. So, but it's new to us, right? No, no, no. It's a twenty sixteen. So, yeah, it okay. is. It is a. It is, is eight years newer. Yeah, almost a decade. So not quite, but yeah, yeah big improvement there. So, yeah, it's funny when you switch cars, like we were talking on the show about, like, you know, sometimes renting a car if you're going to be traveling somewhere instead of putting mileage on your car, you know, you can rent a car and do that because most rental places have, you know, unlimited mileage. And so I have done that when we go to visit my daughter in Sacramento, said, you know, rather I because I, I buy cars and drive them till they die. And so my cars at this point in their life cycles are a little older. And I just don't want to put a lot of extra miles on them. And, and not that I think they're untrustworthy or anything, but I just would rather not do that. And so, um, you know, I I will uh, often spend a few hundred dollars to rent a car to make that drive if we choose to drive. And uh, it's also not a bad way to kind of premiere other cars, you know, so that when you go shopping for a car, uh, even if you don't know what you like, you may know what you don't like. You know, I I have some back issues and there are certain vehicles that I just it's so uncomfortable for me to sit in them for any length of time that I 
very quickly learned that like, nope, I can't, I couldn't own one of these um, for whatever reason. And I've had Nissan products before, but the Nissan pickup truck, the smaller one, I couldn't own one. I my back hurt so bad after driving that. Uh, you know, in fact, my wife ended up doing most of the long haul drive, and then you know I would drive around town once we got to Sacramento or whatever. But the the long haul drive on the free, I couldn't sit there in that chair very long. And when I sat in the passenger seat, I had to lean the chair way back in a position where I wouldn't be comfortable driving. So, it, you know, I mean, if I had to do it because I was by myself, I would have found a way to do it. But it was just really not comfortable at all. It sounds miserable. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about that chair because, like I said, I, I I owned well, it was an Infinity, but it was you know that's a Nissan product. I don't you know obviously they they fitted it out a little differently that had incredibly comfortable seats that I really like. So it's you know it's really by vehicle, it's not manufacturer. Um, right. But right. Uh, so we um we the last time we took our girls up to college in Salt Lake City, we rented a Chrysler Pacifica. Minivan. Uh-huh. Right. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. There's it a was... reason those have been hugely popular over the years. Yeah. And they're so handy because, the, the, and I think I've talked about this before, the seats in the back fold completely even down into the floor. Right. And so we were able to load up all of their gear for their, for their you know, rooms at college and, um, uh, and everything that they needed, there was room for all of us to be comfortable, and it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So, you know. They have such um, a low lift-in weight, too. You know, like SUVs are nice, but you have to lift things up higher to get them in. The the, the vans, I yes. mean, it's basically at your knees. You can, like, you don't have to, like, lift things way up high to get them in. It's just, just slide it right in there. It's um, They're yeah. really, really uncool, but really, really functional vehicles. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, well, all the way through the soccer years, we drove minivans. And people yeah. laughed at me because I yeah. drove a minivan. Oh, my and wife like, loved hers. Yeah, it was great. Well, your Love. wife had a Toyota... Sienna. What was that? It was a Sienna. Sienna. That thing was uh-huh. really nice. Yeah, she loved her van. She loved it. When we bought it, we even went and got like the... Um, the logo and the the nameplate and stuff like uh, gold uh, embossed, so that you know hers would stand out from the crowd, so you could see which one was hers. And, oh yes. and I mean she she loved her van. Um, and when we finally traded it in, she I don't know that she's she's had an emotional attachment to any other vehicle ever, um, but she really liked that van and she liked the way it drove. She liked sitting up a little bit instead of sitting down like in a sedan. Um, you know, now she's driving our Mazda. We have a CX-9, and so she's sitting up again. But I don't think she – it doesn't bring her joy like the other car did. Yes. You know? That was yes. her car that she just loved. And you know what? Minivans are super handy. Yeah. I, you can – you can, you know, at the time, you, know, you could we could load up friends. We had exchange students staying with us, fold the seats down and do – you know, and have more room or take the seats out and have more mm-hmm. room. And, you know, they were very versatile. And I loved my minivans. I, I – we were yeah. the drive them to the wheels fall off kind of people too, and you know we drove them until the wheels fell off. Essentially, yeah. I mean not yeah. literally, but figuratively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we traded it in and got a little Econo car for her to drive back and forth because she was driving. She still drives quite a while, quite a ways uh, to and from work, and we had that for a while. And uh, 
and now we're driving the Mazda. But, you know, in, in retrospect, I almost wonder, you know, given again that it was a Toyota, that we shouldn't have just spent the money to, you know, fix whatever might have been ailing it. I mean, at the time we sold it, it was working fine, but it just had lots and lots and lots of miles on it, and the interior was pretty worn. But you know what? You can... Um, you can reupholster interiors. You can rebuild engines and transmissions. And uh, Toyotas are known to go for a long, long way if you take care of them. So, uh, you know, keep oil in them and they'll run. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, it certainly didn't. It was in no physical shape worse than the Mazda is now. So so I wonder. Yeah, I, I uh you want a car to work for you, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there are people for whom they like, they worry very much about if there's a spot or a ding or a whatever. And I'm not one mm-hmm. of those people. I want, you know, the car is a tool. Right. And I want it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want it look like, to look like a bucket of bolts, but I, um, I do want it to look nice. I, yeah. or I want, I do want it to run well, but, and to, to, to meet my needs, whatever it is yeah. that I'm doing. Yeah. Be reliable. <laughs> exactly. When you get in and hit the button, make the engine go vroom and, and, you know. Yes. And carry all the things that you need to, that you need me to carry and all of that. Yeah. So, um, you know. Well, we seem to be uh, headed yeah. towards a direction where the world will be mostly electric cars at some point here. Um, you know, that seems to be the direction we, we the, the the world is turning slowly. Tesla is turning the tide because every manufacturer seems to be coming out with them, um, especially because of the mandates in California for uh, clean air vehicles. Um, but... Um, you know, so I think that we're going to see a tide changing here. But there's, you know, there's lots of historical vehicles and stuff out there that aren't going anywhere. And uh, well, and there are a lot of people who love those old vehicles, right? I right. Mean, they're they're the ones that want to drive the old muscle cars, and yeah, they're the ones that want to drive, you know, the 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 '65 Ford Mustang or '66 Ford Mustang yeah. or whatever. I, my brother-in-law has a '69 Mustang that he loves tinkering on he's he's slowly putting parts and taking it apart and putting it back together the way he wants it put together and he likes driving it and he it's it's you know part of his joy is working on and driving that you know now what 40 year old car 50 year old car yeah his car is 50 something um because my car is 40 i've got an 83 car that's that's almost 40 so um you know a 69 Mustang would be uh, 41 years old, or 51 years old. Yeah. Yeah. 51, right? Yeah, 51. Yeah, 51, <laughs> yeah. 51-year-old vehicle. Um, yeah. You know, maybe one of the things, one of the silver linings to come out of this time of COVID is the resurgence of hobbies. You're starting to see, talk, hear people talk about everything from knitting to macrame to tinkering with cars. Um, you know, old cars to, you know, um, uh, doing things in their homes, like, uh, uh, you know, refurbishing things. Um, oh, yeah. You know, if you go to Lowe's thing. or Home Depot, they're packed. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, you're seeing more and more people, um, you know, they get tired of binging Netflix because that's not really a, that's not a hobby. Not even really. It's not a hobby. Um, yeah. And finding other things to do that bring them joy. Yeah, that that binging stuff it's a way to park your brain for a little while, but after a while you've got to just like cars, you got to go drive your brain every once in a while cuz <laughs> if you park it too long, the battery dies. You're trying if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh 
you get you got to get out there and move around and do stuff. So, yeah, it's funny. My kind of um, hobby, at least uh, of late, has been um, uh, like I was talking. I think I was talking to you yesterday about like some of the finishing stuff that I'm doing on my shack out back studio i had it like 90 percent done but that last 10 percent is always the 10 percent that you just like well you know I, I it's functional I, and so i'm kind of going back and doing those little things you know finishing it out doing um uh plugging some of the holes that sa- there were sound leaks and things like that and um i got my uh you know finally after three years or actually probably more than that about four years ago i started talking about getting a um uh, a new office chair so i finally upgraded my office chair i bought new ear cushions i have some sony studio headphones that i listen on and the ear cushions had blown out to the point where every time i, I every morning when i was done here i would have to dust the little bits of like black uh leatherette and foam out of my ears and so you know all of you know 15 dollars i think it was and uh don't know why it took me so long to do it but You know, you so, know, but I've done a little insulating and foam, and I I put a little hydraulic door closer so my door doesn't just swing in the wind. You know, I mean it's nice. It's like a little finished out office now, and it, it's not done done, but it's getting closer because I've got time. And you know, I wish I was coaching. I wish I was on a pool deck every night. I I miss my team. I miss my kids. Um. You know, but. Uh, it just ain't happening right now. Till unless I hit the lotto and can build my own pool and just say, you know, and even then, the the doesn't mean that the uh, state's not going to come and tell you to close your doors. They're doing that to some gyms. You know, there's some some gyms have said we're going to stay open, and they're like, no, you're not, or we're going to fine you till you're in the poorhouse. I just, you know, I, even down to the governor telling you what constitutes a meal. So, you know, they don't want bars being open. So if you're serving food and alcohol seated outdoors, you are only a restaurant if you serve more than wings, which is so dumb because lots of people eat wings for their meal. Yeah, it's. Yeah. So if you're a bar that serves wings, then you're not allowed to be open. But if you're a bar that serves wings and burgers. You know, I you know what I'd do if I was if, if I was a if I was a bar owner. I'd be going down to Sam's Club and buying all the tater tots I could and saying we're showing wings and tots because we're a restaurant. Well, or I'd be doing a buffalo sandwich, buffalo chicken sandwich. Yeah. And they're yeah. there. There's your meal. I just Buy your King's Hawaiian Muns. <laughs> yeah, that level of the government interfering in everyday life, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And you and, and, and the, the suspect in me, just this, the paranoid person in me, thinks that this is what the politicians have secretly just all both sides of the aisle have have waited for with joy and glee hey finally we can tell everybody how to live their lives properly you know right because we know best and and properly is in air quotes there because yeah exactly you know best it's like oh man you know if if ever there was a time to say i wish you know if i have to be isolated i wish that we had like a cabin in the woods you know uh my folks own some property in the up in the mountains in New Mexico, and uh, I you know I really wish that we had like a family compound there, like a cabin that we could go stay at, and uh, you know if we set up a a satellite dish for our you know streaming addictions, 
and uh, and you can do satellite for internet as well, and and that way it's you know we could live off the grid basically and be up in the mountains, away from everybody, and you know if we decided we wanted to uh, to swim in the the watering hole or or you know go jogging through the woods or whatever, I mean that's up to us. Put it exactly. in a pool. Come on, this is out in the woods. We swim in the pond. <laughs> Yeah. My recollection is, and I haven't been there since I was in like seventh or eighth grade. So mind you, it's been a while that the property actually had a pond on it and it was like a low point for the area. And so it was just the, the water table. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it is a pond, which means it's, it's, it's mucky and muddy and you know, it's a pond. Yeah. If we're going to win the lottery to get there, we could also then, they have, uh, not too far away is a small airstrip, so we could all fly in and out, so we don't have to drive to New Mexico, so we just, you know, there you go. fly in, spend a couple days, then fly back out if you have to go, uh, you know, to a, a face-to-face meeting, although who's doing that these days? Everybody's doing everything online, so as long as we got internet. That's right. In my mind, I actually designed the perfect, like, lodge because what it was was there was a center communal area with a communal kitchen, but then there was, like, um, small studios off of each one that each of the families in, in, our, in our extended family had. So you had your own space, and you had, a, you know, a, a locking door to that own space that you had the key to your space, and then there was the communal area that we all shared where we would gather in the evenings and chat and hang out. And, but if you wanted to be by yourself, you could go back to your apartment within the lodge that is co-housing and i wouldn't want it all to be attached like we would have a t- detached houses or bungalows um, that were our own spaces and then we had a communal space that had rooms for playing video games or watching television or or doing work yes yeah, yeah, in, in my big mind communal space with a giant screen for television and a huge kitchen and large dining room table where we could you know, couple, couple, three, four, five times a week, whatever, make meals together. Yeah. Right. That's well, that's kind of how I I envisioned it, except that rather than being that, that it was a single unit, because that way they uh, everything you basically because that way the outside was like a, a fortress. So that so that when the uh, apocalypse came, we could basically all shelter in place and nobody could get into our see, compound. There you go. So <laughs> I had see, I was I, I was also concerned about the zombies. And so I wanted to make sure that but each <laughs> but each family had their own standalone sort of unit that had its own kitchenette and everything. So you could yeah. go back into there and spend your time there if you didn't want to come out and 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 you know if you needed some alone time but if you wanted to co cohabitate you could come out into the communal area and hang out and and like you said sit around a uh a, a fireplace uh you know like in a mountain lodge fireplace you know big walk-in size thing and uh uh yeah so yes to yes. me that would be a really that cool sounds- thing to have i just need a few million dollars that's all come on lotto <laughs> come on lotto Yeah. Come on, Lotto. Come on, Lotto. Every once in a while, I'll buy some. Not not certainly with any regularity, so my odds are pretty low. But let's face it, they were pretty low even if I bought them every yeah. day. So, 
So I don't know that I've really changed. You know, I probably statistically haven't changed my odds much beyond zero by uh, buying them on occasion (laughs) as opposed to buying them regularly. Yeah. You know, my in-laws go and spend a week each year in Lake Tahoe, and they've been doing it. Uh, my my brother-in-law's wife, her family's been doing it since she was a child. And they go and they lease the same set of cabins and stay in the same place with the same families around them, their friends. And, you know, they're on to the next generation of people doing it now. And, um, you know, it'd be cool to have something like that where except instead of leasing it, you own it and you can go use it. And then you can, you know, Airbnb it when you when you're not... Uh, when you're not using it, I guess if you wanted to open up your your secret, you know, enclave away from the zombies uh, to others. Yes, yes. Well, you know, and it could be a total wedding venue, right? So you know, you could lease it out for lots of money because it's a wedding mm-hmm. venue. Yeah, there's lots you of different know. ways you could turn it into a, uh, a revenue source if you wanted to, uh, you know, actually bring your fantasy back into somewhat reality. <laughs> <laughs> You know. uh, isn't that fun? That's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It uh it's kinda neato. It's neato kinda to daydream. Neato. So, you know, there is this movement that I just learned about, um, that started in Louisiana and I don't remember exactly where in Louisiana, where it is like a community renaissance community um, engagement, community investments. Um, basically, pe- people just started making a point to meeting their neighbors, and they were intentional about doing block parties and really reaching out to their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And it's created this kind of renaissance in in the city as people stopped, you know, stopped ignoring their neighbors. Right? Because how many of us yeah. actually know everybody on our street? And that's yeah. very few of us. We're not that culture anymore. Um, I'm not sure we ever were exactly, but we sort of have this fantasy of the 1950s neighborhood where you see, you know, Bob and Carl and Debbie and, you know, on the street and you wave and you say hi and you hang out with each other and play bridge. Right. I I don't know that that ever really fully existed, but. Well, okay, but I don't mean necessarily that you're all best friends, but you know each other. Right. Right. So, you know, maybe maybe there are certain people on the street that you really get along with and other people that you don't, but you're friendly and you know who they are. And if something happened, you would. They, they would feel comfortable to say, you know, say something yeah. like, you know, that they, they needed help or if they needed a guidance or they, you know, just wanted to have a cup of coffee with someone, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't do that anymore. It's yeah. not that you'd be everybody's best friend. But, well, with COVID, you know. we, we probably still won't do that. But, uh, yeah, oh, well, no, but I know what you mean. Government. Yeah, God, exactly. Let's that hope. Cannot be forever. Let's hope. I um, when we first moved to Corona little over 20 years ago uh, we lived on a cul-de-sac our kids were like three and four years old or four and five years old something like that and um, our neighbors we would sometimes like out in the middle of the cul-de-sac on holidays and stuff put up easy ups and everybody would gather out there and we shared you know did fourth of july potlucks or we somebody would put like a fire pit out in their driveway and people would gather around and just you know hang out and chat in the evenings and we sort of had that in that community but as kids got older and some families moved in and out it just became less and less of a thing yes you know yeah and so it um uh, you know it's it's uh i think that that is probably not unusual you know that that 
when you've got you know a neighborhood where you've got a bunch of younger kids and people kind of bond over the, that and you know talk about teachers and you know and then at, you know I guess if, if the other thing is and I don't know how many of those neighbors still live in that neighborhood I can think of two that I know that do um, but that's two out of you know maybe t- uh, I want to say maybe ten houses that are still yeah. the original neighbors you know so people move on it's not like um, places where the the family stay in one space either i think that takes that makes it harder you know people do well and in the 1950s everybody as they were building these suburbs everybody was new and so there was right. an excitement to to meet the new neighbors because everybody was just moving in where now people are mm-hmm. settled in their ways the, the you know neighborhoods unless the neighborhood itself is brand new um you know that people some people have lived there for decades other people have lived there for six months and so it's you know, people are coming and going, et cetera. So, um, you know, I, I, I understand that things are different, but I, I, you know, this, this idea, Mm -hmm. what it's doing for this, what what the the, the net effect that they've seen, the impact that they've seen in this Louisiana town is that crime rate has plummeted, that people are caring more for their, for their properties. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. even if their properties are older, they're, you know, they're slapping, they're, they're painting their homes, they're mowing their lawns, they're taking care of, things because they feel invested because other people are connected to them and so i think that they're for quality of life no matter because there's low-income neighborhoods in this town and they're high-income neighborhoods um the quality of life is better all around because people have taken the time to invest time in their surroundings absolutely and i'm not i'm not disagreeing with that at all in fact i think it makes like a lot of sense and and i think you're right it's when you know somebody you're more likely to care about them and about the space that you share and cohabitate in. Um, I was just trying to kind of do a, a mental analysis of, of, you know, my situation and why some of that maybe has broken down a little bit. But I think the idea of making a conscious effort to to sort of bring that back and, and get a sense of, of your local community um, yes. is a good idea. Um, there's a lot of benefits that are derived from that. And if you can, you know, sell your neighbors on it, yeah, bring bring them a casserole and say hi, you know, and 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 unlike the fifties, they'll take the casserole, throw it away because they're terrified you're trying to kill them. But then, <laughs> but but once they get to know you, they'll know that hey, you make a terrible casserole and they don't want to eat that. Or if you're in our neighborhood, the the, the largely immigrants, or you know, the lar- immigrants or Latino or play people, they don't eat casseroles. <laughs> yeah, like, nobody eats it? casseroles anymore. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You know, it's a casserole was a thing. When I was growing up, my mom made a casserole. That's what you did when you didn't have a lot of money and you had a can of tuna, is you made a casserole. And yes. casserole was made with, like, the bread that was getting, you know, a little stale and some potato chips and a can of tuna and some cream of chicken or cream of mushroom soup. And uh, voila, casserole, you know? Yes. yes, we made, and I think I've talked about it before, what, what I lovingly called cat food casserole. Which was, which was essentially that. It was egg noodles, it was tuna, it was cream of mushroom soup, and, and then I would put some sort of crumbly on the top. And it was really mm-hmm. good, but we called it cat food casserole. The kids loved it. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it was tasty, it was filling, and it was quick and easy to put together. And, and more it was th- cheap. Yeah, and I was going to say, <laughs> and more important than any of that is it was cheap. You know, cheap, the, cheap. <laughs> a, way to, a way to feed a family on, on a few bucks because, yeah. you know, that family starting out and anybody who's got little kids knows um it's tough it's tough being a parent you don't have a lot of time you don't have a lot of money uh and you do what you got to do right yes yes 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, yeah, it's funny because Reagan came over one day, probably a year ago, and she, um, I was, I, I, I wanted to make a cat food casserole because I hadn't made one. She saw, oh, this is my childhood right here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the like, taste yeah. of being a kid. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You know, no, it's funny. At least once a week. Certain things will just bring you right back, you know, and taste is one of the, taste and smell get you there real quick. Real quick. Yeah. So, I remember on my street we used to have um, block parties mm-hmm. uh, for for Halloween, and we had lots of little kids on the on the street, and and it was a nice time. Oh no, Aaron went away. I don't know if you can hear me, but I cannot hear you at all. Hear me? Oh, Sorry about that. Ah, there you're back. You were talking about Halloween, All Hallows Eve, child block parties. And we just visited, and uh, my band would play, and we would, you know, just have a good time. And then, mm-hmm. um, then we just kind of stopped doing that. And maybe we need to do more block parties and have more events to connect people to one another because that kind of stuff brings people out. So maybe as soon does. as we're allowed to, we should have a committee to throw together, throw together a committee and, and yeah. plan something fun. Well, I tell you what, the location of your house for your particular neighborhood works out perfectly because you've got that big open area next to it that used to be a playground. Um, there's an area where you could gather and set things up where you're not out in the street, but you could, you know, a lot of people could come over and hang out and and turn it into a block party nicely. Like when we lived on the cul-de-sac, uh, we literally just set up out in the middle of the cul-de-sac. And uh, one of the neighbors at the time was actually a police officer. And so we didn't go get like a um, uh, permit or anything. But uh, if if some first of all, not often that we had, you know, police driving down a cul-de-sac. But if somebody happened to come by or somebody said something or a police officer, then he would walk over and talk to them in a few minutes later. He'd come back and say, we're fine. And so, (laughs) you know, uh, but we would literally run like run like extension cords from houses out to the middle of the cul-de-sac so we could plug in crockpots to keep things warm. And I remember doing Fourth of July out there, and I think we did a a, uh, Halloween out those. It was. It was nice. It was. It was. It was fun. It was a lot of families that you knew and trusted, so your kids were safe in your neighborhood. And it just. It you know. It was a. um, You know, a nice little moment in time. Nice little moment in time. And we would do. We would bring out the crockpots, and our contribution because it was potluck. Our contribution was always nachos. So mm-hmm. for Halloween, and so you know, Halloween evening was generally chilly, and so we, uh, as in cold, uh, you know, there's a chill outside, and so we would bring out nacho cheese and chili in the big cans and fill up crock uh-huh. pots, and and uh, people would, I mean, it was good, it was always a hit, and then people would bring other stuff, and obviously lots of candy, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's it's fun too. Those times you think about it as a parent, you look back at those times when your kids were little, and you found so much joy in just those simple you know, things, just watching your kids, you know, smile and be happy because they were going to get sugared up to the, out of their mind, you know, and, and you just go like, yeah, that's cool. You know, they'll, they'll get hopped up on sugar. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's part of growing up, right? Is they, at least it is in our, in our culture. It has been part of Indeed. our culture for, Indeed. for a while. I mean, around the world, it might not be a thing, but in our country, man, you go get sugared up to the point your kids are bouncing off the walls and you take them home and say, now go to bed. Please go to bed. <laughs> so. I, I, I hope that, you know, that 
when all of this is said and done, that we don't go back to our our workaday lives the way that we were. I think that there are lessons mm-hmm. to be learned from this, um, from this shutdown um, about living more intentionally. Yeah, and there's I a lot of striving to go back to normal, but yeah, I don't want to be the same, normal. I mean, if normal is exactly the same, I think we can do better. I think we can do better too. Yeah. You know. We need to start um, that life, meme. You know, life is essentially what you make of it. it. You get out of life what you put into it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want better, then be better, then do better, then choose better. Yeah, learn to find joy in in being locked down, and then learn to 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 continue to find joy when you are fine. Excuse me, when you're finally set free, let out. You know, it's like don't yes. don't you know I don't go back to normal. Don't go back no. to normal. Go back to better. Go back to better. Should be on a Definitely. t-shirt. Post-COVID, yeah, let's, let's go let's, back let's to have better. some merch. Go back to better. Yeah, I'll see if I can set something up. I'll put a, a link on our website. People can... can Do it uh, on Teespring. Go back to better. Um, Teespring or custom ink. Let's do Teespring because yeah. lots of lots. You know, maybe you're an artist. Let's, let's yeah. create I've, some merch. I, I have done um, uh, the uh, uh, custom ink before. I've not done Teespring, so I'll have to look at that and see what the options are. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll talk about that. You know, hey, I've got nothing else to do except work on my shack out back because hey, COVID. <laughs> well, and for those of you all who don't know, don't know, Todd is a real Renaissance man because he's a. He's a tech guy. He's a tech head, but he's also his undergraduate degree is in art, and so he really is a creative, all-around kind of guy. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. You know, I remember working one time. I was uh, in in management. I was an executive at a company uh, in uh, Los Angeles that did voicemail systems, and I was talking to the vice uh, vice president of administration, and he was an attorney, and we were talking about something, and I can't remember what it was, and. Uh, and he looked at me, and, and he says, are you crazy? And I went, what? He says, well, you, the reason – I was explaining something. He says, well, the, re, the reason you do that is because you're an artist. And it's funny because I don't tend to think of myself as an artist, but he thought of me as an artist. And my job was you know, vice president of technology and operations. I mean it wasn't like art was a big piece of what I was doing. And yet he saw it in me and said, well, that's – you know that's the way you think about things. Is, is, don't you don't you understand that? And I was like, ah, oh, thanks, and Byron. Not. Thanks, Byron. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for the insight <laughs> into me because I, you know, I wasn't seeing it. Um, uh, you know, he was a good friend because he was able to, you know, smack you on the head and say, "Dummy, that's who you are. This is who you are. Don't you know that?" Um, so unfortunately, he's that's passed, cool. and I miss him. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he had cancer. Um, oh, that's such a, that's just, cancer yeah. sucks. One of the most vibrant, alive people I've ever known, and uh, just uh, really sad to see him gone. So. You know, um, it's important to, uh, you know, I'm one of those weirdos who tells my friends that I love them. And um, uh, I'm not going to stop that. I made that decision because I, I want people to know that they're loved. I think that. Mm-hmm. We don't do enough of that in our culture. Um, um, I want people to know that they that that they matter and that that there are people on this earth that care about them. Um, and it's, of course, it's not romantic love; it's, mm-hmm. it's friendship love. You know, it's 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 you know just just love. Is that right. agape love? I don't know. Um, 
So yeah, it um, doesn't, doesn't have to have a, a definition or a title. It is what it is, right? It is what it is, right? And that, that they matter and that they're important to me. Um, um, so because we all go through times where we're feeling a little disconnected, and right. and you know, it's a way of of I want people to know that they matter. I guess that's just. I struggle with that. I struggle. I have a real hard time saying I love you unless it's somebody who's really close to me and somebody I care a lot about. And that's and 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 to be honest, I don't know that I've ever said I love you to somebody who's not in my family. Ah, yeah. Um, And it's not that I don't necessarily not not something that it's not that I don't necessarily not you know not want to. But to me, it means something, and so when I say it, it it's got to really, I've got to really mean it, and it's got to, I don't know, because uh, I don't want to discount the fact that I, you know, I've got some friends that are important to me as well, and, and, and you know, and I guess, see, even now, I'm trying, I'm struggling, I care deeply for them, I, I you know, I, it's hard to just come out and say, I love them, um, and I don't know why that's so hard for me, it really is, I mean, it's just, it, it, almost like words sticking in my throat like I just it's hard for me to say Um, you know but it's not hard for me to feel that way because that's how I feel I just really have a hard time expressing that well and it's you know that's that's a deeply personal thing you know Um, um, especially you know I I I don't know there there are just uh, a handful of people it's not everybody just a handful of people who Mm -hmm. um, mean a lot to me you know that if something were to happen to them I would be devastated and that they bring me joy, and um, and so that's, you know, those are the people that I say I love you. Yeah. Well, so. I I uh, uh, envy your ability to say that and and mean it, and 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 when I say it, I mean it. It's just I don't know why I I have such an issue with that. That's um, it could be because you're male. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just a guy thing. I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think everybody's that way. I don't think my brother's that way. He's, you know, your husband is much more, um, I think, open with his emotions, and he's he more hug, he's more huggy and more, you know, uh, much more so than I am. I think, you know, but yeah, I'm so much older. Are, you know, I come from a different time. Well, you're not that much older. Jeez, it's not like I you're ju- fifteen years older. I, I just had to throw that in there because you know he would if he were here. <laughs> You know he would. <laughs> yeah, he would. Yeah, he yeah. Would. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, brother. <laughs> oh man. So, um, have, did you watch uh, Anthony Fauci throw out the first pitch? I didn't watch it live, but I saw it after the fact. It was kind of sad. Although I um, heard his explanation. Did you hear his explanation? I did not. But he's in his eighties. But I didn't. Yeah, eight, like eighty-nine. He's not a young guy. He, uh, or is it 79? Anyway, he's an old guy. Um, he said that two days before he went to the local high school uh, with a family member and threw pitches for an hour and that his arm was so sore it hurt to lift his arm up by the time he got there. He says that was a mistake. And then because he, was, he knew he was on television and people were watching, he tried to throw it hard as opposed to just lobbing it over home plate and we tried tried to throw it hard with the sore arm he just completely lost control and he says and well you saw what happened (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, so yeah yeah, he was born in 1940 december 24th oh he's a a christmas baby christmas 1940 my dad was born in 1940 in october my dad's a few months older than he is 
So he will be 80 years old this year. Yeah, 79. Okay. So. Yeah, um, I knew there was a nine in there somewhere, and he wasn't 90, <laughs> so it was 89, 79, somewhere in there like that. He's a pretty active, sharp guy. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, people have been, you know, look, look, here's the thing. The, the, when you're actually the one throwing, the distance between home plate and, and the pitcher's mound is not actually that close. And if you're not somebody who, I mean, the man is a physician. He's not a he's not a professional athlete. So if yeah. he's gonna throw it like a professional athlete, not likely. Yeah, I mean, if you if, they probably don't give you enough heads up on that, but if they do, you should probably go out and start playing catch a little bit every day for like a month till you get used to just throwing a ball. Throwing a ball yeah. is use is using muscles in ways that a you know uh, an almost eighty year old doctor probably doesn't use them every day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, I am, but you know, most people aren't. <laughs> so we'll yeah, with that. yeah. I was gonna say, and it, and you know, that's a lie because I'm good at lying. Um, yeah, no. If you've ever seen me ice skate, you know there's at least one thing in this world I'm really, really bad at. Oh God. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, the one time I tried to ice skate is is etched in Brinker lore. Let me tell you, uh, it was bad. It involved. Crawling along a, a half wall and then crawling over a half wall whilst with, with skates on my feet. Let's let's put it that oh, way. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So with that image in your head, we are there completely you go. out of time for today. We are so thanks for joining us on back to the from the brink. We're here daily uh, uh, Pacific time from seven to eight a.m. or seven to. 745 or 748 today um so you know we go for 45 minutes or so and we are the after show for kcaa's morning radio show on the brink we hope that you'll join us i'm todd brinker i'm aaron brinker have, have a great, great day, day. everyone <laughs>